Hello and welcome to a Wondercare podcast with me, Sheena Mitchell. I'm a pharmacist and mum of three and I bring you lots of information to help you on your family health journey. Today I am joined for another health and news episode by my brother, Niall Tully. You should see, see the faces he's making at me now. And he is from Tully's Total Health Pharmacy in Castlery. And he is also the proud owner of four boys. So he has lots of parenting tips and healthcare related advice to give us as well. Today, we're going to be talking about three new stories which cropped up over the last week or two that really flagged our interest. So the first one is about RSV and an antibody drug for babies, which has just been endorsed by the FDA. The next story is that basically when we are trying to reduce our children's craving for screens or for sweets and treats, it's anti-doping parenting. That's a new term that's been put on it and we'll explain why. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about the medicines shortages and how they're impacting patients because Azure Pharmaceuticals, who compiled the medicines shortage index, released new information to say that up to 60% of the population are now being affected by medicines shortages. And it is my view that these are not going to go away. So to let you know in what kind of way this will affect you, we'll be chatting about that a little bit. And after that, we will be taking our listeners' questions. So thank you to everyone who popped questions in the Wondercare underscore IRL chat box on Insta yesterday for me. And then we will be testing Niall's knowledge in some fun facts. I'm going to reserve my thanks to those listeners to see how hard the questions are first. And I will thank you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you all the really hard ones. Right, okay. Mm. <laughs> so yes, do feel free to drop questions into my private messages on Instagram. So we're going to kick off. First story, Nile, RSV. Very exciting news. So a panel of advisors to the Food and Drug Administration over in the States have recommended the agency approve a new antibody drug to protect infants from the serious lung illness caused by respiratory syncytial virus, which is known as RSV. And obviously we saw last year that because of maybe dampened down viral red during COVID, we had a huge early peaking RSV season that caused an awful lot of burden on Mm. our health system with a lot of kids ending up in hospital. There was already a vaccine being made and I don't think it's really here yet though. No, but that is actually by GSK and that is for patients over 60 only. Yeah. Yeah. So this, yeah, this is tricky because in the news you see, oh, there's a new RSV vaccine for babies, but no. There's actually already an RSV vaccine for over 60s made by GSK and that hasn't been rolled out here yet. There is also another vaccine produced by Pfizer, which is suitable for pregnant women. And they're suggesting that pregnant women should receive it between 27 and maybe around 32 weeks of pregnancy. And then it would give passive immunity to their newborn babies, which is obviously very great. Now, in the market in Ireland, there is actually a drug 
called Thinneris, which is what's known as a monoclonal antibody, which basically gives immunity to a baby. And at the moment in Ireland, that is only given to babies who are at particularly high risk. So maybe very premature and very vulnerable. The problem with that treatment, so it's a treatment rather than a vaccine because you're actually giving them antibodies rather than giving them a vaccine, which Mm. will stimulate the production of their own antibodies problem with that is it's monthly. So this one lasts for about five or six months, this new one that the FDA have kind of given the thumbs up to over in America. And actually, I think it's called Bayfortis. So this is basically a single dose injection, which is being considered for general rollout for all babies. So not just at-risk babies. So they'd get it basically before the kind of kickoff of the RSV season. And a recent study, there's a Harmony study, which involved loads and loads of patients in the UK, but also I think in Spain and Italy. And Niall has the stats on this. What was the reduction in hospitalizations? So it was it was seventy to seventy five percent required less medical intervention, but lowered the risks of hospitalization by up to eighty percent, which is huge. It is absolutely huge. So that would be completely game changing. Every winter. Like that would that'll free up our pediatric departments massively. Yeah. And, you know, we have a vaccine for flu. We have vaccines for COVID. This was the one that was missing out of what was known as a tridemic this mm. winter, a triple attack. And I would be a lot happier going into a situation where that was an option. And, for I, and, I, and, I, and ideally, and I don't know, do you have anything on this, but ideally that'd be given with the nasal spray flu. Well, it's probably pediatrics, so it's probably not. Yeah, It is. And I think it is because obviously the flu vaccines only over two for nasal spray. Yeah. So it's uh, wrong demographic. Sorry. It is. And it's also, I think it's only available in injection format. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. far. Come on. GSK, Pfizer, whoever made it. AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. Yeah. And I'd imagine like if they've achieved that, more good news will come. In my opinion, this is all great news, but it's coming from probably the the technological advances that we've had with the COVID vaccines. They looked at the market or they looked at all the research that was done. And from that, the pressure of making vaccines and from the huge amount of research that went into it, that obviously we're going to get better advancements quicker than we would have normally without COVID because the studies and the information and the pressure wasn't on the drug companies as much to do anything about it. So the research will have progressed massively over the last five years due to COVID. So that is a, that's a plus for COVID if you can consider that it is, that there was ever a plus, but there's not really, but yeah. It is. Look, it's an opportunity out of a bad situation. Mm. Apparently, they've been trying to make an RSV vaccine since the 1960s. I read this morning they're using one for the over 60s. And then, as I said, Pfizer have one for pregnant women, which gives that passive immunity. But for these young babies, obviously, they're using a different approach. So yes, not a yeah. vaccine, this monochromal antibodies. That is definitely a good news story. just want to interrupt this episode for one little second. Okay, more than one little second, but not a lot of seconds. Summer is here and it's definitely my favourite season. The only downside is all of the circulating dust, spores and pollen that can make life miserable by affecting your sleep and respiratory health. That's why I'm so delighted that Salon Plus are supporting this season of Wondercare podcast. 
as the Salon Plus device filters these dust and pollen particles out of the air when used every night in your bedroom and circulates fresh, clean air for improved sleep and comfortable airways. I cannot believe we're on season five. Where is the time going? Anyway, back to the pod. The next one, I just feel a lot better after having read it. How are your kids on screen time and treats? How do they behave afterwards? And do you find it hard to reduce their time on them? Our kids have to earn ours. Saying that they generally have to earn them, but I don't think they've been allowed to earn them in the last couple of weeks because the behavior has been so bad after it that they like they have to earn it for morning jobs and evening jobs. If they do all their morning jobs, they get five minutes earned at the weekend, as in each morning is five minutes. I have been a different type of parent where... I will openly admit that there have been times where I have used the device as a parenting tool. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about the rule, not the exception. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm like, no, you're making me feel bad. You need to be relatable here. I think I'm going to. This is is in theory. I'm going to bring the relatable and go, (laughs) I absolutely have thrown them in front of their iPads for an hour, an hour and a half at a time when I've had to get stuff done. And it kind of got out of control in our house recently and I just that they were looking for it all the time. And I was like, oh, my God, like they're acting like complete addicts. And it really concerned me. And then I saw this study and I went, oh, yeah, OK, that makes sense. Anti-dopamine parenting. So what does that mean? This term has kind of cropped up because it has been shown that flickering screens and high sugar sweetened foods release dopamine and dopamine is your happy drug is your happy drug but actually that's a bit of a misconception because dopamine is a happy drug but its real use in the human form is meant to be that it makes you happy about meeting your essential needs so yes 100 percent, yeah yeah. So for like, what are, you know, the essentials? The eating, sleeping. Eat, yeah. Eating, sleeping for reproduction. There are other things like exercise. So that is the context in which dopamine is beneficial to our bodies and having the right amount of it is important. However, it also has big, serious side effects, like health conditions of having the right amount of dopamine in your in your system. Um, yeah. And you can go anything from later on in life to Parkinson's and Alzheimer's have an effect with dopamine as well as addiction can be caused by high dopamine. A lot of attention disorders like ADHD and things have a, a link in with high dopamine levels. And so to actually have established that these, you know, flickering screens and the sugary treats release dopamine in your child. So it's not your child being bold, saying they need screen time. Their body is actually telling them that they need it. They need it to survive. So it's this false essential need it's created. So in essence, they are addicts. It doesn't have to be tablets. It can be it can be telly. I know certainly from that my number four and the high color, high shape size of certain programs. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention them. So Sheena, you can bleep this, but things like is like they just zone out there it is it's it's the colors like flickering technicolors and i think cocomelon is particularly is is speed for children triggering yeah (laughs) it's like so i suppose what the information is showing is that 
it's not just giving like an instant one dopamine burst. It's no, continuous. Well, I, like, I, I found we'd be putting one of them to bed or like we'd have myself and, and Sinead, we'd be putting them before to bed and I'd lift them and, and bring them up and I'd come back down and, and Sinead's still watching it. Now, she's not actually watching it, but you know what I mean? She's just, she's thinking about something, but it's still on and she's still just looking at the TV and you're kind of going, really? Yeah. Um, but you just get, you get caught in it without thinking and it's no, it's no wonder that, that they get glued to it. They do. And actually, in, that's an interesting point because obviously for people who don't know, Sinead is your fully grown Sinead wife. My, yes. <laughs> she is not a child, so no. she should not be addicted to cocomelon, but it just shows. Well, it's just you leave it on and you just end up looking at it, but I, you, your mind goes elsewhere and you're thinking about all the jobs that have to be done. The same, they say, for online shopping and scrolling on social media. But they say it gives you this dopamine burst, so you feel like you want to do it, but you don't always like that you what want you're it. doing. Yes, yeah. it nearly trains you to do something like the scrolling through your phone that you suddenly you lift your head and then it's half an hour later kind of going, yeah. uh, what did I just watch? And you're annoyed at yourself. You're going, put it down. But then you, you want to hit it back up and that's dopamine's fault. So, yeah. yeah. So I suppose really here for the context of what we're talking about, I think it's important that we do try and limit screen time and treats and understand that, yeah, we're going to have side effects of that and they are actually real. So irritability. You have that without a tablet, so that's fine. (laughs) Impatience, you know, being overstimulated. Those cranky symptoms that your children are displaying after you remove their iPad time or screen time. They are real and maybe a bit of tolerance actually and, I don't know, trying to... My children, I always try and explain everything to them, but it, it'll be hard to find a, <laughs> a way. But it's, uh, you, t- you tell them to, to finish it and then they take like 15 minutes to walk over to the plug. <laughs> it's just yeah. there going like, come on. Get off. Um, but that okay. all gets taken off their next day's time. In theory. Next story, medicine shortages. So. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, this has been something that obviously I've been I've been speaking in the media a lot about this week. So I've been on a few radio stations and in the papers about because Azura Pharmaceuticals, who are responsible for the medicine shortage index, released new information which said that the list of medicines has increased from 241 last month to 289 this month that have been notified to the HPRA as unavailable. And I've been making the point in the media that actually I think it's much worse than that because we, as you know, Niall, have a lot of medicines that are on allocation. And I Mm. think that last month when they said there was 241 medicines on the shortage list, there was actually over 350 on allocation, which means that there was not adequate supply of 350 products to meet demand. And it has a huge impact on and that's patients. On, that's only the ones that the companies have told the HPRA. Yes, they are leaned on heavily to supply that information to the HPRA, but I don't think it's a legal requirement. No, they actually, in the media recently, the Department of Health said, oh, but if they don't tell us, sure, we, we can't know. Please tell us. Let's yes. Work. Seriously, you should be contractually obliged to tell them. But, Niall, how are you... Finding that is affecting patients on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's a struggle some of the time. Sometimes you can change brand and that's fine. That Someone might go from a white tablet to a pink tablet and you have to explain to each patient going out that their white tablet is now pink or they'll come back and go, what's this? And that's, that's, that's part of the role. That's no issue. You can 
sometimes the odd time if something is available if something let's say was 150 milligrams and you happen to have 275s you can give 275s that's fine but there's other things where you just can't we have to go back to the doctor and we have to get everything okayed sometimes you can get things from further afield for example at the minute you have a high blood pressure tablet called lercandipine uh, or lercanidipine as some people might call it the people Um, who made it and everyone else (laughs) In Castlery, we like to call it things a little bit different. But in the lurcandipine, that's short at the minute. Yes, we can get it from further afield, but we have to go back to the doctor each time to let them know that. So basically, you're getting in an unlicensed medicine because that particular one isn't licensed in this country. Uh, so you have to go back to the doctor, let them know that you're giving an unlicensed medication and that are they happy to give it. Then you have to go out to the patient and say, listen, yes, the doctor is happy to give it this. It is the same thing. But I have to charge you for it because this one's not on the medical card or this one isn't on your drugs payment scheme. So they're getting the same thing. You're explaining to them the same thing. There's just rather than the, the multiple steps of dispensing it, checking it, making sure it's safe and going to the patient, you now have three or four added steps and the customer still isn't happy at the end of the day because they're now getting medicine that they have to pay for. You have other things like over-the-counter things like you've caniston uh, at the minute. So you have duo packs, combi packs where you can't get them and so... You have people who can't get it on the prescription because we can't get those ones, but yet they could buy it. So that's back to your favorite word of price discrepancy, where you have people who can afford it, who are able to purchase the Caniston 500 milligram pessary, whereas those who can't on the medical card are left in a lurch and they have to go back to the doctor to see if you can get something else prescribed. So all of this leads to delayed treatment, changing of treatments, the doctor revisiting the same prescription two to three times. They're already overworked and overloaded. From that point of view, it is beginning. It's not beginning. It's always been there to a certain extent. The level, certainly in Castlery, that I've seen is unprecedented. I don't think it's going to get any better. Uh, There's nothing that's happened, nothing that I'm aware of in the world is suddenly going to go, oh, now, hang on a second. We can get drugs a whole lot easier now. Uh, We can get access to a whole lot easier. This will solve all the problems. There's nothing that I've seen that will make well, this go away apart from a joint effort. Well, you see, other European countries are now paying more for generic medications because they want to improve their relevance in the market. We have a Department of Health who said there's no supply issue, actually, even though <laughs> clearly and, there is. And I, I think I read somewhere that there was this, uh, the PSI or I'm going to say it was Department of Health because it was a monetary issue that they said that raising the prices of stuff wouldn't help. Whereas if I'm a drug company and I know that I have a million packets of something and I can land it into Germany and get two euro a packet for it, or I can land some of it into Ireland and get one euro a packet for it, why would I give it to Ireland? And the other problem is sometimes the margins are so small on these really essential medicines that they are stopping making them. So it's just really frustrating as a pharmacist. And that is why I will continue to talk about it, because patients need to understand that it's not the community pharmacist's fault and that, you know, we patients and pharmacists should be working together to highlight this to the government, that it's their inaction that is causing this problem. And our health is at risk and that is not okay. And at, at the end of the day, if there wasn't a supply issue, we'd have supply. Do you know what I mean? So like we'd have the drugs if there wasn't an issue. And you have a couple of people, sorry, a couple of different people saying there's no issue here, nothing to see, please move on. But yet people can't get their drugs. People can't get their tablets. Okay, Niall, we have some listeners' questions. 
And one of the first ones is what medicines should you bring abroad with you if you're traveling with kids? Ones they will take. (laughs) Basically, I mean, you have a couple of essentials. Depends where you're going, actually, is the easiest answer for that. Because if you're going to somewhere in the EU or if you're going over to the UK or if you're traveling down to Cork, you'll be able to get most things. Whereas one of my fellows, if you gave him Europe and strawberry, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything with it. He'd spit it back out of you. So I know that we need the orange one for him. So we were like, bring things that you know that might be specific to that or ones that they specifically like. I would bring a bottle of paracetamol and a bottle of ibuprofen. Uh, I would probably bring uh, mild steroid cream if I'm going somewhere that has midges, either somewhere foreign or the bog. Um, just so that if you do get bitten that you can you can put a little bit on I would probably bring anti-travel tablets travel sickness tablets <laughs> if you're going somewhere hot things like diorolite or oral rehydration sachets I would look at antihistamines as well and you can get ones that are child specific hop back to last week's episode where we did travel tips where a lot of this is actually COVID, so, yeah but yeah. <laughs> anyway next question is COVID still on the go I've got a bad cold but I don't want to test in case it's positive <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, it is still on the go. The The current guidelines are saying that if you test, if, if you have the symptoms, you should test. Now, the restrictions aren't what they used to be. And so that if you have symptoms that you still should test, if you get a positive, it's you should stay at home from five days from when your symptoms started. Uh, or if you have no symptoms and you test positive, it's five days from the date of your test. Now, there isn't the household contacts are all gone and that type of thing. But unfortunately, if you have symptoms, you still should be testing. It is important to remember that, unfortunately, there are still vulnerable people out there who really don't want to catch it. Just try. I always try and think of patient groups like cystic fibrosis or, you know, so you just have to keep those groups in the forefront of your mind. So another question from someone whose daughter has started to grow hair under their arms and down below and they want to shave it for holidays. And they're, I suppose, asking, is there an age or is that okay? Is it appropriate? And the answer to this question is that there is no right or wrong time to start shaving. It's going to come down to the maturity of your child. Obviously, when girls enter puberty, which can be as young as eight or nine, but normally, you know, on average between 10 and 14, then body hair can become thicker and more coarse. And your child may very well get self-conscious of it. Or it may be a case that everyone in their class is now shaving their legs and they might feel like an outlier and they want to do it. So definitely worth having the chat. Make sure your child knows that you're open to this conversation and that you'll support them. But what I would do as part of that is explain to them that once they start shaving, the hair that regrows will come back more coarse and potentially darker. And so in essence, you need to say to them, okay. I've no problem with you shaving, but if you're going to start, it's something that you're probably going to have to keep up. And I would very much be in the house of building confidence and self-esteem. So if this is something that's going to have a negative impact on your child's confidence, then I think addressing it head on and openly is the best way. The things you can do, like you can get them maybe a good Razor, I know Venus do ones that have kind of a lot of um, a lot of protection, a lot of protection, yeah, and, and kind of moisturizers built onto them, and they can be helpful. But there's things like telling your child you don't have to press down hard on a razor for it to work, and doing that will increase your risk of cuts and maybe showing them how to do it. So 
like absolutely just go and sit at the side of the bath and show them how to use the razor. And children love that because they're just so embarrassed. And, you know, I wouldn't let your inhibitions about whether your child is old enough or not guide you. I'd go by her responsibility levels and her reasons for wanting to do it. So really listening to her as a person and then arming her with the best equipment. So a good razor and that it's important to use a product. Now I have to say I'm very lazy. A bit of conditioner will do the job on your legs. You can use that, but shaving gel or foam and <laughs> make sure they know to prepare their skin by wetting it and, you know, using a proper product, unlike me. And then it can be a nice experience because you get to show them how to do it. It's bonding. It opens up more conversations about puberty and other grown up matters that will come up that they know then that you're going to support them and you're not going to just shut them down. So I would say to them if they've sensitive skin, just to be careful, because in general, you'd say maybe avoid moisturizing straight after shaving because it can cause a little bit of irritation. But if you have a child with eczema, just ensure that they're gently patting the moisturizer on the skin and do tell them not to be sharing razors. So Nick and yours or, you know, their fathers or their friends, if they're away, just literally have a good clean blade and tell them to let you know when they feel that it might need to be replaced. Okay, now, Niall, you can have your tense music in our fun fact section. This is where I test Niall's knowledge on random healthcare facts. Actually, okay. You can hear the enthusiasm. I was going to give one or two, but there's a few interesting ones here. So the first one, how much saliva does your mouth produce in one day? Weekend or week? (laughs) (laughs) Average day, Niall. An average day. We're going I'm with going to say a leecher because I have absolutely no idea. Oh my God, that's actually incredible. That's right. <laughs> hey! I'm really annoyed now. Until you get it wrong, I'm going to keep going. Oh, no, okay. At what age do babies start shedding tears? Ooh. Okay, I'm just kind of thinking that my babies, my babies love me. They don't, they don't cry, so that's fine. They're <laughs> <laughs> quite late. Um, I feel like I've seen different shedding evidence. Shedding tears. I am going to say quite old. Uh, maybe would it be ridiculous to say a year? Yeah. <laughs> okay. One month. Tears in one month old. I actually am shocked that they don't like. I feel like mine were born with tears. Oh no! But you know, like they always cry and they wah. But I've never actually seen tears. I was going to say I was going to go later than one year, to be honest. But one month, yeah. Okay. And I, right. I feel like I have dramatic children that can produce them very quickly. Mm. On request. Okay. Okay, it's one all. I didn't do so great in that one. This one's just really cute, so I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. Is it how far away is Ibiza from Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> how traumatised will your children be if you go to Ibiza? I don't know about five miles. But... <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Ty, if anyone's wondering about that question, go check out Sheena's Wondercare Father's Day post. You'll wow. see what I'm on about. You can have a look at that and laugh. Right. So the Latin for this word is now used to describe a common body part. So, <laughs> little mouse. Little mouse? Yeah. Wait, I'm going to give you more info. Because what the ancient Romans thought this looked like. Big toe? <laughs> Muscle. 
from flexed biceps. How cute is that? Imagine they look like a little mouse. mouse on the inside body. of your skin. <laughs> like that's just like alien type. They're going to pop out. No, that's... I, I think it's Romans really are weird. Ancient <laughs> Romans. Current Romans are fine. Oh, Lord. Okay. I think okay. we've wrapped up, Niall. Did I win that one? <laughs> I don't know. If you enjoyed this episode of a Wondercare podcast, Health News and Chats, then please do subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And even better, you can give us a little review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the episode over on wondercare underscore IRL on socials.